This is Trackside with Kirk Cavan and Kevin Lee. It's an unbelievable situation in Indianapolis. Here he is in the fourth turn. This is his final trip around turn number four. And Jeff Gordon is about to write his name in the racing history books. Years from today when 79 stock car races have been run here, we'll remember the name. Jeff Gordon, winner of the inaugural Brickyard 400. Last year, Dale Earnhardt brushed the wall on the second lap. Today, he brushes off all challengers, and Dale Earnhardt in the GM Goodwrench Chevrolet wins the second annual Brickyard 400. Tony Stewart's quest for a win at his beloved Indianapolis Motor Speedway is over. Checkered flag in the air, and Stewart wins the All-State 400 at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Hamlet slides and cuts him off. They'll slip their way through the S's. Single file behind him. They start to double up again through eight and nine. But the leader, Denny Hamlet, spins going into turn number ten. Briscoe got into his jack lid. Hamlin is off the track. And now Chase Briscoe, the Indiana native, has the lead. Three car links ahead of A.J. Allmendinger. Chase Briscoe is just 74 miles from his hometown of Mitchell, but he has been penalized. He has to go through the runoff area in turn number 12. That gives the lead to A.J. Allmendinger. A.J. Allmendinger will survive the carnage, and he will drive to victory at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway as he has survives two red flag situations and comes home and claims a victory at one of NASCAR's most prestigious venues. Brickyard weekend is almost here. NASCAR is back in town. It's on the road course, and what makes it even better is that IndyCar is also involved. The Gallagher Grand Prix for IndyCar is Saturday just afternoon, and the Pennzoil 150 Xfinity race follows that after three. And on Sunday, the Verizon 200 for the NASCAR Cup Series. Practice on Friday, qualifying for IndyCar and Xfinity. And don't forget, great stuff going on this weekend if you're coming in town or even if you're already here in town and live here at Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park, Friday late afternoon. And then evening, it's the Arkham Menard Series and the Camping World Truck Series, both back at IRP for the Truck Series. First time one of the top-level NASCAR series has been there for a little while. So plenty of stuff going on the track. We'll get into on-track previews. But the off-track news continues to dominate. The defending IndyCar champ is now a defendant in a lawsuit from his current and championship winning team, so the plot thickens. Hello, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Trackside on 93.5-1075, the fan in Indianapolis. Kevin Lee, Kurt Cavan, Sam Rumsa is in our Indianapolis studios tonight, and Josh Mullenix is with him in studio tonight. We'll talk to Sam later in the show This is his going away party, so we're going to find out why he's leaving us. So we'll get to that later in the program as well tonight. All right, Kurt, we've got a lot of things to get to. Some of the things we discussed last night, we've got a little more information on what happened in the crash with Joseph Newgarden. But let's start with the public record that became available today in Marion County Court with Chip Ganassi Racing suing one of their drivers. Civil suit uh, filed against Alex Pillow and his racing entity, which is capital A-L-P-A uh, Racing, and that's his, his entity. Uh, sealed official complaint, so we don't have a lot of the details we'd like to have. Uh, Ganassi represented by Barnes & Thornburg, which is a big deal in this city, and by Jim Voyles. Uh, Most of us in the sport uh, know his involvement uh, is extensive in motorsports and representing uh, teams and drivers. Uh, Chip Ganassi Racing has asked for a prompt hearing request uh, within the month, actually within probably five weeks because they want it by the end of August. Obviously, they need to make some decisions one way or the other. And as Pelo said the other day, and I think this still fits, it's messy. And we'll see where this goes. But uh, not named in the suit, at least as best I can tell, because the file has not been uh, made open to the public, is Polo's management team, Monaco Increase Management. It, the, it's filed against Alex and Alex's entity uh, as opposed to the management company, which is representing him. That's my understanding. 
which makes sense because it's likely that it's Alex's signature or his Correct. company's signature on the contract, unless it was worded on the contract with the management firm. So yeah, you need to deal with him. Uh, also of note, there are some other attorneys from the Ganassi side listed there. And someone that knows that side of the business a little bit told me today that there are some heavyweights involved and there are some people it not we all know Jim Voiles. We're familiar with Jim Voiles. People in Indianapolis, not just the racing community, know Jim Voiles. He is a very successful attorney um, and has been in some high profile cases before. But there are some others that are also just as successful and get things done for their clients. So they mean business. So this is kind of a shock and awe thing when you see it in those bold letters that a team is suing their racing driver. But in all reality, I think everyone that's been paying attention, all the people in the paddock, we knew this was coming. This was the only way to resolve this. It had to start with this. Well, yes, that I think what you just said, it starts with this. This is the first step, maybe second step, other than, than Chip Ganassi Racing coming out as it did two weeks ago and saying, you know, we have exercised the option on Alex uh, for 2023. The interesting thing for me is I've had time to marinate on this story for a couple days. I think I'm, I'd give a little bit more percentage to the idea that if this goes Ganassi's way and, you know, they have Alex held to a contract, I've, I've been at the point where I've thought, no, there's no chance he runs the number 10 car next season. But, and you've brought up, you know, for example, would you, would you put Ryan Hunter Ray in the car or another driver? But then Ganassi's paying two drivers next season. He has run Alex Pillow now in two races. He's scheduled to race him this weekend. I think if it goes Alec, if it goes Ganassi's way, I'm kind of starting to lean toward the idea that, that they would just carry on and say, no, we have you under contract. We're not going to pay a second driver. We're going to make this work. And again, I don't know how much percentage I'd give it, but I'm giving it more than I was yesterday. Yeah, you gave it none yesterday. I, I wasn't quite that far, and I think I st I still don't think he will drive the 10 car next year, but I've never eliminated that possibility because as we've talked about before and you just alluded to, getting through Toronto was the hardest one. That's the one where I, I suspect that there were contingency plans and it was considered yanking him from the car and putting Ryan Hunter Ray in, but I also suspect that Chip Ganassi was told the best way for you to win this lawsuit that's coming is for you to fulfill your end of the contract. And so I'll start with this. Jenna Fryer of the Associated Press tweeted, just spoke to Chip Ganassi who confirmed, I want to win championships. I want Alex Pillow in my car. Now, here's a good thing about being factual. Um, Telling the truth only needs to be the truth as it is right now, <laughs> if that makes sense. It is. So that's true. Right now, that's that's the plan. I want Alex Pillow to be in my car, and I'm not accusing Chip Ganassi of misleading us. Might that change depending on how this goes and what the conversations are like with Alex Pillow in the coming weeks? Yes, I think it could. Uh, some of this is going to depend on what these conversations, which I'm told there have been none. There's been no communication between the two parties. And then you even heard Scott Dixon and Jimmy Johnson say, eh, I've basically been keeping my distance. I'm, I'm really not interacting with Alex at this point. So the only way I think he drives in the car is if they can come to an agreement for a long-term contract. And it's getting tough to move past that because I think Alex's window was – in the day after that Tuesday night tweet and announcement from Errol McLaren to basically say I was hacked. <laughs> so I was, I, I didn't say that I, I was uh, misrepresented on the release. I was misrepresented on my own Twitter account. Somebody took control of that. That's not what I think. I want to be with Chip Ganassi racing and all is good. So he obviously still believes he has the upper hand in the language of this contract in some way to get out of it. So I'm still finding a hard way to turn that around, but I cannot rule it out 
because it's not like Alex Pillow is going to sabotage his career. If he's if if he is not allowed to contractually drive for someone else next year and it is offered to him to drive the 10 car, he's going to take it and he's going to try to do his best because if he doesn't, that's not good for him. And he still might be the best option for Chip Ganassi Racing to win races. However, motorsports is more than just winning races. If you've got a guy that's not super happy, one, how does that impact the rest of the team? How does that work with sponsorship? You are representing the team and their partners. And I'm not sure that someone has said, I don't want to be there, is the best representative for your team and their partners. So the only way that happens is if they can't find anybody else, and I think they can, so I still don't think he'll drive next year. Uh, agreed. I just am now willing to give it a little bit more credence than uh, yeah. I, I was 24 hours ago. Uh, yeah, I can't, I heard I can't myself, guarantee it. I heard myself earlier this afternoon, and I thought, you know, Ryan Hunter Ray is going to come at a cost as well. Is Chip yeah. willing to pay Hunter Ray and Polo for the same car? And Chip can afford it, but that's not the way Chip does business. He He's not in the business of handing out money. So anyway, I'm just willing to give it a little bit of, uh, of more credence. Totally agree. Another point that Jenna Fryer pointed out on Twitter, she wrote, one thing I've recently been told by people in the Ganassi camp and McLaren camp is that Alex would like to return to Europe, Spain to live. I've not had the chance to ask Alex about the validity of this claim being made by both teams, but it could factor into Alex's messy situation. So that reminds me of something in the Polo tweet. He referenced personal reasons for why he would not continue, or did I, I don't have it in front of me, but why he did not want to continue with Chip Ganassi Racing. Personal reasons. But I'm not sure that works out contractually. This is not like a college basketball sophomore saying, I'm homesick. I don't want to have to sit out a year in the transfer rule. And, and there would sometimes be hardships applied for college athletes transferring for personal reasons. I don't know in the professional world that personal reasons being homesick is going to play. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, and, it doesn't – I still don't know how that helps him in an IndyCar job if both of his IndyCar teams are based in Indianapolis. Maybe and it's not IndyCar. Yeah, maybe it's not IndyCar, but but it, that's just – surely he's not the Formula E driver for McLaren Racing. Anyway. I wouldn't think – I can't imagine he would have left. But what if – what if he's that homesick? and wants to be in Europe and he's still being offered three or four times what he's making in IndyCar and has offered a number that is a top tier IndyCar salary. And he's being told you're next for formula one. You're going to test. And as soon as Ricardo is gone, you're right near the top of the list. Because that's what's being used for McLaren right now is offering everyone testing opportunities. And Colton and Pato and Palo all think they're going to be the guy in this situation. Now, Colton's still obviously under contract with Andretti. But, hey, at the end of next year, there will be a conversation on that front as well. Um, the, the Formula One thing is strange because there are some people that think he could be in the mix. I find that baffling. I think he could do it, by the way. I think he could do it. I think Colton could do it. I think Rossi in a good car could do it. New Garden, on down the line. The IndyCar drivers are just as good. But Formula One doesn't see it that way. And for a Formula One team to be willing to take a risk on a guy who's never driven a Formula One car would be shocking to me. You know, I'm, I'm hearing that if Ricardo, and I think the option might be Ricardo's, you know, that's why Zach Brown mentioned some mechanisms and he may not be able to just outright uphold the contract and pull the plug. So uh, they're waiting for Ricardo, even though he's expressed his desire to continue. I'm hearing that he hasn't actually signed it. 
signed the, the option and turned it back in. And they may want to wait until after the summer break uh, to, to make that firm. And Pelot could be a backup plan because he has the super license points. I still think they would find some other option from one of the lesser teams that's willing to move up. But that's out there at this point. I, I still can't see them giving someone he's got to at least test and show what he did. You know, at least Colton Hurt has been in the car and impressed them. Pelot hasn't even done that, and he's not going to be able to do it for a little while. But it's just still wild and super unpredictable at this point. Yeah, and super messy. Again, I go back to the the words uh, Pelot himself used. So that that's an interesting thing. I think Ricardo returns for 23. The question would be if, if Pelot comes to McLaren – and this gets worked out in his favor, does he just you know, spend time in 23 getting ready for that, that opportunity? And maybe he gets it, maybe he doesn't. But uh, certainly the path is there uh, to get to Formula One through McLaren, which doesn't exist with Ganassi or relatively anybody else in this paddock. Um, so that's that story for today, kind of following up on – the story from last night on the report from racer.com about Devlin DeFrancesco and the 29 team and Andretti talking to some other people. DeFrancesco still a possibility next year, but they've told him that we're exploring other options on that front. Uh, that might get messy too, because there's a contract involved there. I still think it has to come down to money that, Devlin's doing on the track what was expected of him. I don't think anybody realistically expected any more out of him. And I think it could be argued that in some ways he's possibly doing a little bit better. Because, again, it's not like the team is knocking it out of the park in general. They're not one, two, three, and he's 19. Uh, they're at times all struggling a little bit. So who knows? Is this, you know, part of the financial arrangement? Have they had sponsorship issues? So all of those things come into play, but that's going to get down to some lettering in the contract as that moves forward at this point too. Next up, who's driving the two car this weekend? Well, I thought it was, first of all, we have no real concrete in information at this point. Uh, Joseph Newgarden will be examined on schedule uh, by the IndyCar medical team tomorrow, and we should have news at that point. But today, his teammate, Scott McLaughlin, was on the IndyCar conference call, and while he's, you know, honestly talked all over the board, there were a couple sentences that, that struck me. And, and let me just read them, and then we'll interpret if, if this means anything, nothing, or is just something for us on a radio show to talk about. Quote, I haven't spoken to Joseph personally. I've let him go to it. I've texted Ashley, Joseph's wife, and his father, Joey. It sounds like he's just typical Joseph, just fighting, doing his thing. I hope he just gets better soon. I'm sure we'll see him on Thursday, and it will be great to catch up. Now, I'm stuck on a couple of things there. One, Scott's obviously in the conversation. He hasn't talked to Joseph, but he's talked to his wife, and he's talked to his father. So he's in the mix. Two, he says he's typical Joseph, just fighting. Okay, that means he didn't say Joseph will be there. He'll be fine. We all know how he is. He'll be there. He didn't say that. And and then the third point, uh, I'm sure we'll see him on Thursday, and it will be great to catch up. Again, I think Joseph will, you know, he's going to be in town on Thursday. He's going to be, you know, in the medical discussion uh, and examination. But I just thought those were a little bit, maybe I'm reaching for something in the middle of a long transcript. But I thought that was interesting comments. Your take? I'm not going to read a whole lot into it because I think McLaughlin was pretty good about handling that the way he needed to. And and these are delicate situations because I, I think Joseph's a private guy. He hasn't. He, he's very private. He might yeah. be the, as private as IndyCar has. Yeah. You know, Joseph is a, a wonderful young man. And someone we've known since he was, what, 19 or 20 years old, since he, he came here in Indy Lights. 
Um, but he's also good at doing the things that you need to do to be a corporate representative. I think in general, he's shy and he kind of just likes to be by himself, but he understands that doesn't really work with being a race car driver. And, and he, he's so smart and gifted uh, that he has the ability to turn it on and it's genuine. He, he likes people, but he's just kind of quiet. He, he's, I think someone that would, just kind of be happy hanging around and speaks when spoken to, but isn't going to try to take over the scene. And then with that, I don't think he likes a lot of attention. He knows you need attention to do well in this business, but, you know, I think you can read something, the fact that he's not even tweeting, Hey, uh, thanks for the support. Uh, I'll, I'll see you at the track soon. He's just leave me alone and we'll see. And that's ultimately what it is. I, I, I don't know that I'll read too much into Scott, but they've obviously made the plans that they need to, which they do anyway. And I think, it, like I said last night, I think it's good that they went public with this. So one, Tim Sendrick's phone stops ringing. And two, we start throwing out names of people that can drive the car. You know, Austin Sendrick is mentioned. And, you know, come on. I, I think the world of Austin Sendrick, and I think if you gave him a little bit of time, he could drive an Indy car, but he's not driven an Indy car. He's not getting in an Indy car coming up this weekend after driving, driving nothing other than a USF 2000 car and a stock car. He's a great race car driver. Give him a full testing program in the offseason like McLaughlin did. Uh, Austin Sendrick could do it. But a one-off when he's also driving the cup race and he's headed to the playoffs, that's not going to happen. You know, uh, Kyle Larson, that's not going to happen. That's not real, realistic to say that somebody's going to jump in a car on Friday morning and drive an Indy car race. You know, you think Jimmy's got it hard. Uh, wait until those guys do it. They're four seconds off the pace. Give them time. Kyle Larson could do it as well. So I'm just going to hold on to optimism that Joseph's fine. But if not, they'll make the smart decision. One, IndyCar won't clear him, but Tim Sendrick's quotes in the racer story last night said, you know, ultimately this comes down to Joseph. He could even be cleared, but it's up to him. If you feel a little bit off, even though this isn't an oval, it's still best just to take the weekend off, and they will respect him if he decides, I'm not sure that I feel all with it. So, you know, those comments kind of made me wonder a little bit from, from Sendrick last night. Yeah, I'd, it, I, I've I've thought it was fifty fifty. Not much has changed, uh, but I, I guess I thought that if if uh, and, and bless his heart, Scott McLaughlin's in a tough spot. You know, he's trying to yep. answer questions for the media. Uh, he's trying to talk honestly without you know invading on the privacy of the team and the driver, his friend. Uh, I just thought he might have said something that suggested that. All, all was going to be okay and re relative to this weekend. But and if I'm him, though, I don't want to say that because no one knows. Even if Joseph feels fantastic, he's still got to pass that test. They might yep. say, hey, it didn't come up the same. I don't care how good you say you feel and how good you feel and how much weight you lifted yesterday. It doesn't show the same as it did before. Um, it's not opinion based. It's based on numbers. I'm, I'm glad you said that because this will not be, uh, you know, asking Joseph, how do you feel? Great. Yeah. We're going to put you back in the car because that's not how this will go. It's very scientific. It'll it will not be objective. I mean, uh, subjective. Uh, it'll be a, a pretty objective uh, process. And and I think whatever the decision becomes, I think they'll all know it. You know, everybody in the room will know what's that, that the right decision was made, whichever way this goes. Uh, also, we got from racer.com last night confirmation from Team Penske president Tim Sendrick as to what caused the crash. Uh, and Sendrick says it was a damper failure, a right rear shock failure. So credit to my man, Joe Berkmeyer. Uh, so I saw a lot of things on Twitter when I got done after the race on Sunday and the first guesstimates, and I think maybe even someone from Chevy was cited saying suspension failure. And 
Joe Berkmeyer, who works with us on NBC, is normally uh, my my assistant on Pit Lane, and he was working with Dave Burns since I was in the booth, texted me and said, I'm hearing it was a shock, uh, sh- shock failure. And so I showed it to Townsend, the text to Townsend, and Townsend mentioned that on the air. I wanted him to see it because he would understand if that meet is more plausible or not. So we did get that on the air. So credit to Joe. He was the first to have that, and Cindric confirmed that. And the concerning part is, is detailed in Marshall Pruitt's stories that damper failures are a rarity, and Cindric still isn't sure what happened because the part wasn't anywhere close to mileaged out. So that's going to take a little research to figure out what happened there because that's always the worst case scenario is something broke and we don't know why it broke yeah that's um that's uh disheartening and it's uh you know it leads to just some doubt um i thought it was also interesting how they handled it with with will power during the race at least this based on on power's reaction after getting out of the car he said he didn't know uh, he, his spotter told him Joseph made a mistake in traffic. At least that's this is what Joe or Will said coming out of the race car, and um, it wasn't until after the race he heard otherwise. So, interesting, just interesting information. And I can even share you the source for Joe's report to us. It was on Scott McLaughlin's radio. He was told by I, I think he asked the same thing maybe after the race what happened to Joseph, and he was said shock. He was told shock failure. So there, there's your source. It came from Team Penske, and it was still more of a, this is what we hear. Uh, but, you know, he didn't say it with any all kind of definitives because they need to do a little bit more research, and it looks like they have, and that's what they, they came up with. So we'll get into more of that and talk about some of the other situations and storylines for the weekend, including with uh, NASCAR and both of their series, actually all three of their series racing in town, two at IMS, the other at IRP. And also one uh, more reminder that tomorrow night, live show, well, plausibly live show. So we'd better not get any dueling press releases. Actually, I'm getting that in just a moment because I think we are going to have another driver announcement tomorrow. And I hope another team doesn't claim said driver two hours later. We'll, we'll, we'll do that in a moment. And if so, then the live to tape thing I'm planning at 545 won't quite fly. But at Prime 47 tomorrow for the Brickyard Prelude Party, I'll be recording uh, the show. Kurt's going to get some interviews at IMS with some of the drivers, and we'll kind of mix it together. It's for the Survivors of Violence Foundation with Dr. Greg Chernoff and uh, what he does to provide reconstructive and plastic surgery for victims of domestic violence and other violent crimes. And uh, it's presented by Wise Financial, Northwestern Mutual Client Group. I've mentioned some of the associates who have donated, like Caldwell Van Riper. They just came on board today, so thank you to them. Tesco, Hedge Clippers, Dozers Nuts and Bolts, and also one of the uh, items we've just secured, wine from the Foyt Winery. And AJ has signed one of the upper-level bottles, one of the really nice bottles that we'll have available in the auction. AJ doesn't sign a ton of stuff, so that's pretty cool. I've seen the list of auction items, some for a live auction that Hinch is going to help me with, and uh, others for a silent auction that we'll have. It's casual. This is not a suit and tie thing. If you want to wear a sport coat, you can. But if you just wear a T-shirt, if you're coming from uh, being out at the track, or whatever the case may be, it'll be fine. It's not a sit-down dinner, but there's going to be great food from Prime 47 and drink available as well. Clayton Anderson's going to play a couple of different sets. He's going to play early in the evening, and then Hinch and I and Lee Diffie are going to talk. Calvin Fish is going to be there. And we've got uh, good confirmations from some drivers, including some that have won a little race we call the Indianapolis 500, multiple That'll be there starting at 6.30 until 9 o'clock. If you're going to buy tickets online, do it by noon on Thursday. Otherwise, they will sell tickets at the door. They're $150. I tweeted it out yesterday. Uh, Jackson's website, if you go to his blog, jacksonleeracing.com, and click on one of his latest blogs from a couple of weeks ago, it also has a link on there to buy tickets as well. So I hope you can join us. I think it's going to be a lot of fun for a really good cause tomorrow night at Prime 47 Indy Steakhouse downtown. All right, more to come on Trackside. This is Alex Palou, and you're listening to Trackside. 
Thanks for staying with us. 93.5-1075 The Fan. Brickyard Week. Activity starting Friday morning with a 90-minute IndyCar practice at 9.30 as well. And it's time for the Circle City and Indianapolis Speedrome news of the day. So after this Saturday's IndyCar and Xfinity races at IMS, the racing continues Saturday night at the Tom Wood Group Indianapolis Speedrome powered by Lincoln Tech. It's a full night of stock car racing on the historic Fifth Mile Oval, capped by a 100-lap wild and unpredictable late model figure eight race. The Speedrome features family-friendly racing action, great food, free parking, and outrageous fun. It's located at Brookville Road and Kitley Avenue on Indy's southeast side. You can get more information at speedrome.com. So I think maybe we make the news of the day today that uh, someone that finished sixth in the Indianapolis 500 that's done quite well in NASCAR is unfortunately going to be unavailable again this weekend. We're uncertain about Joseph Newgarden, and Kurt Busch is going to miss his second straight cup race because of concussion-like symptoms, and teenager Ty Gibbs will fill in for him again. Well, Ty Gibbs is 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 really a rising star in in the stock car world. Uh, he's won eight Xfinity races already, four of them this year, and three of those uh, eight wins have come on road courses: Daytona, Watkins Glen, and Road America. Road America being the noteworthy one, the most recent road course race. He held off Kyle Larson, and that was uh, impressive stuff. And um, so we'll see how how he does in the twenty three eleven car owned by Michael Jordan and Denny Hamlin. So that, that'll be interesting. Feel for Kurt Busch missing this event. You know, he's he's still one of the big names in the sport, 34 cup wins. So we'll have to see how it goes. But, but Ty Gibbs ran, ran, ran well last week in, in Kurt's absence. I think he was 16th at Pocono. So good for him. It'll be fun to watch Ty, and we'll see where this goes. And that, that organization has kind of their own challenges right now after having one and two DQ'd. He finished 18th, but moved up two spots. So the cynic might say, yeah, they were all legal, all illegal because they wanted Ty to do well in his debut, uh, and he just didn't get teched after the race like one and two did. That's what the cynic would say. Um, you know, I saw the explanation. Who knows? But for NASCAR – to blow the top two out like that, they obviously don't think this was an honest mistake. They think they think this was blatant cheating. Well, I, I guess I couldn't or remember. It provides such an advantage that we just can't overlook it. That's right. I couldn't remember uh, a, a winner being taken, you know, from victory lane to the uh, to the woodshed in terms of his his point totals uh, and and losing the the, the race win. Apparently, it had been since 1960 uh, yep. since that had happened. NASCAR's long had the practice of what the fans see as the winning driver yep. is what we'll stick with. You know, and for a while they had, didn't they call them encumbered wins where they would take away all the benefits of the win, but you still got credit for the win, you know, points and playoff points or whatever else comes with it, maybe prize money, but you still were credited with win the race. But this was a clean sweep of that. You know, one other NASCAR thought, um, and it kind of parallels to the IndyCar world. We think it's silly over here. It's pretty silly over there when a driver like Kyle Busch with his credentials, it's uncertain if he has a ride next season. And this is, a, I think, an example of why – it can catch up to you. you. You can't just be good in the race car. If And different people have different positions. I'm sure people that know Kyle Busch say he's a wonderful person and he's great to be around. But the public perception is not very good of Kyle Busch. And this is a corporate sport and there are only so many corporate partners that like to embrace the bad boy. So that limits their options, and they are struggling to find a sponsor for Kyle Busch. It's happened to Kurt Busch before. His behavior cost him a job. So that's great and all, but you'd better keep winning on a very, very high level, and he's not winning at the same level anymore. So I suspect he'll be fine, but I can't guarantee it at this point. He might have to drive for a different team that is not as successful next year. I, I agree. It's um, 
he he's he's lasted longer in some respects than I expected because you know he's he's taken a a bad boy position and run with it and it's mostly worked out for him but as you said it can catch up with you uh okay I mean I alluded to maybe some news coming tomorrow and I think this t- I had heard about this for a little bit I thought it was coming I didn't know when well then I see on the release coming from IMS and IndyCar, that there is a 2 p.m. Hukos Hollinger racing announcement tomorrow. And it doesn't say what it will be. And I don't know for certain what it will be, but I got a pretty good guess that it's going to be announcing that Callum Eilat will be continuing in their car. As I've said before, my belief would be that Hunkos has the option on him to continue and I suspect they'll be picking that up. Now, could it be more than that? Uh, I, I know they are efforting having a second car next year. I don't know if they're there yet. I hope they are. It would surprise me a little bit if they're there at this point. So maybe it's just for Callum, which is, is probably a good idea because a lot of people are sniffing around at his driver right now. Uh, and he's being asked about it on live television, and he wasn't really prepared to answer that question. On, on live television. So it's best to get that out there. And then it will be fun to see if another team says, oh, I don't care what the release said. We signed him last week. <laughs> and we'll, we'll just have to it. see who's, uh, who's got his quote in the press release. <laughs> but, uh, but no, I expect, you know, this isn't a surprise if it's Callum, because, you know, this is where Ricardo Junkos has, has had his train of thought uh, for some time um, and talked to many of us uh, privately that, you know, I want the kid back and he's done a nice job for us. And we're, we're a team and, and all those things. And they, and all those things are true. Um, And I think, you know, Callum has been one of the bright spots of the season. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I don't think there's a two car in tomorrow's announcement. It would seem, it would seem like too much for Ricardo to have put together this early in the process, of course, we're announcing drivers for the 2029 season already. So, you know, we're, we're kind of ahead of that. But I, I don't think – I think there will be plenty of, of time still in this in this silly season to get the second car wrapped up if that's what they're going to do. He may need to see some dominoes, you know, how they, they play out with with some other teams. Uh, I suspect not, but it, that's, that's a possibility. But, yeah, I'm with you. It seems to me like it'd be a one-car – uh, continuation with Callum Eilat for next season, although I've not seen that, you know, in print. Also on this itinerary is a Friday 11 a.m. press conference that's listed and says Indianapolis Motor Speedway President J. Douglas Bowles and special guests will make a major announcement on the fourth floor of the Dex Imaging Media Center. That could be a lot of things. Sometimes major announcements are that we're renaming the media center or we have another corporate partner, but they generally don't mislead people like that. So I suspect there's some meat to this and not that those announcements are not important because they are. Um, You're in this kind of business now. How do you word these things? Can a sponsor announcement, if it was a title sponsor for next year's Indianapolis 500, that could be something that would be considered a major announcement. If it's another racing event coming to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, that would be a major announcement. But I guess just how do you word, not to mislead the media who think this is going to lead their sportscast on TV, and if it's, you know, next year's race is the, the, the TV compound is going to have a corporate sponsor. That's not making the news. And that's going to annoy people to come out thinking that's a major announcement. So the way we handle it is to talk with our constituents and and whether that's, you know, the the beat writers who cover the sport. Uh, If if it's an announcement about the American Dairy Association, then you're trying to get the food writer or the, you know, the different writers who are uh, interested, the constituents that are interested in that subject matter. and And you give them a heads up. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure that that the people who will be interested in writing about this have a pretty good idea. Uh, and, and really, it was something I pushed for a lot when I was at the Indianapolis Star. Look, just tell me. I can hold information for you. 
but I need to know now. This is not really the the right type of of situation because it's a race weekend, and if it has exactly. to do with racing yeah, of any what any kind, those guys are going to be there anyway. But if it's December first and you're yeah. having a press conference at the Speedway, please give me a little. I, I might be on vacation. Just give me a little bit of 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 yeah. nugget. So that I have has the, the speedway of, been sold? If if it has, let me know, and I'll come in on my off day. <laughs> yeah, that that's the kind of thing. So, um, uh, you know, I'm not I'm going to stay out of this conversation. Let you pontificate about what it might or might not be about. Uh, I'll be there because you know it's what I do, and uh, we can hash it out if uh, relevant on uh, Friday. I may let others guess on what this is, and I think you'll see a lot of guessing on the Internet. I think I know what it is, but I also think I might have been tipped off on that. So I don't feel like I should say what it might be. So we'll just and in some ways, I think it's nice to be surprised every once in a while to just find out what this is. If it's what I think it is, I think it has some significance. I think I think it's cool. So uh, we'll find that out. On Friday, Twitter questions. Lawrence Cunningham, does NTT have any say or influence on who drives the 10 car? So normally uh, I would say the answer is yes. Uh, The only reason I pause just a little bit is because I think in this situation, uh, I think Ganassi will lead the discussion. They will obviously run it past NTT data and NTT, but I suspect that this, you know, and this is the case with most of the race teams, they're going to lead the charge, but um, the sponsor or the partner is very much going to be involved in the discussion. Uh, This one just might be a little unique given the circumstances we've discussed. Yep. I would think they'd have some say, but it all depends on some sponsors are, we trust the team. This is your business. We support you. Others, and I've heard this firsthand, dictate who drives the car and threaten to pull sure. their sponsorship if the driver is not changed. Yeah, I think it's more of what fits the needs of of the sponsor or the partner. We've talked about DHL uh, and its international business that it does. Very much was excited about the opportunity to have a driver of international stature, as Ramon Grosjean is, and... You know, that was enticing to them. Had Andretti Autosport handed them a a relatively unknown, unproven, you know, driver out of Florida, or I I mean, I say that has nothing to do with the fact Kyle Kirkwood is from Florida. That was just the first state that really came to mind. But maybe DHL is not as excited, but Grosjean did excite them. So that that was good. You know, as far as if Pelot doesn't return, candidates for the 10, we've talked about that. Did I mention Oliver Askew last night? Maybe I did, but I, I, I just think he needs – we need to remember that. We need to remember that he was really well regarded. And as we've seen with Felix Rosenquist in year one with the Errol McLaren SP team, not everybody can drive their car. Sometimes it takes a little while – And I'm not sure that people feel like he's gotten a true shake. I'm not sure that you can judge. And actually, I feel pretty confident. You can't judge what he's doing in Formula E. Uh, That's one of the reasons why they want to take Rosenquist back there is because the feeling is these cars are different. And it takes some time to figure out how to be really good at that. Is is he the number one candidate? I I don't know. But, you know, I think we're going to be able to cross Eilat off the list uh, and, you know, if they want a veteran, it's Ryan Hunter Ray. Is David Malukas available? So let's get to that now. And a little reading with Kevin, because MB at Bauer Racing just sent me a link of a David Mulsher Lopez story. And I told you some of the things that Dale Coyne told me a couple of weeks ago of we think we're good next year. And I, I was we were talking about some other things. I didn't press him a lot on David and the team. Uh, So David Malsher Lopez has done a little bit more. He says that Coyne is eager to retain Sato. And we talked about Sato, too. Uh, Dale told us he expected Sato to return. Here's the quote. We have contracts for David and Takuma for next year. So I'm 99% sure they're both staying. Their contracts are different because if Takuma wanted to retire at the end of this year, he can. But if he stays in IndyCar, he has to stay with us. 
David's is just a regular two-year contract. But Takuma's excited about IndyCar as he ever was. I think he's got another couple of years in him yet. Uh, yada, yada, yada. I give David a lot of credit for his speed compared with Takuma. Let's go on and see if there's anything else on that front. They're talking about performance. HMD Motorsports. Okay, asked whether he would be seeking another young gun or a series veteran. Coin said, probably a rookie. We like rookies. Yeah, I did ask him that too. I said, are you getting closer to a third car? And he said, yeah, we're, we're in the, heading in that direction. Not done yet, but we've got a real chance. HMD Motorsports, owned by Maluka's father, Henry, who owns the Indy Lights team and with whom Coin is now in partnership for the number 18 Indy car. And the Lights car has suitable candidates for 23 and beyond. The most obvious, Linus Lundquist. Sure, Lundquist is the obvious one, said Coin. He's been fast, looks after his car, doesn't make any mistakes. He went on to add that he would be less interested in bringing up engineers from lights to IndyCar, at least for now, and will instead be looking at series veterans to fill the role. Okay, so nothing else in that other than no mention of options. Two-year contract for David Malukas. Yeah. yeah so that's going to take a buyout if, if he's to leave. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know that the buyout number is insurmountable. If Malukas uh, wants to leave, the family could make the buyout. You know, it's uh, – I think Malukas is going to get a shot or at least an invitation to go elsewhere, and we'll see if he takes it. But I think you know, there's starting to be too many seats that have upward uh, – an upward climb in the, in the pecking order that Malukas will want to consider. Philip Gaynor asks, the Xfinity race is on Peacock while Cup is not, correct? Question mark. Well, as you know, I only run uh, operations for NBC for the IndyCar broadcasts, Philip, so I can't speak to NASCAR's plans. I don't know. Uh, I think generally Peacock has been available for anything on NBC, on network, but I believe I've seen that the races on USA are not on Peacock. That's why it was kind of a bonus that the Detroit race was on Peacock. That's not how I understood the contract to read that it did not have to be available on Peacock. Remember, Comcast is a cable company. They'd like people still to pay for cable, cable television. I don't think the NASCAR USA races have been on Peacock. I could be wrong. I've been working at the time. My guess would be since Xfinity and Cup are both on NBC this weekend, they are both on Peacock, but I do not know. That is not my department. Check your local listings for this coming weekend uh did i add no this is a new question cubecast fully vaxxed says maybe i missed the reason when talking about phoenix on last night's show you guys talk about not going against the nfl but why not go in february march the one month breaks in the schedule are awful and need to be filled the reason it might be difficult to go to phoenix in february or march is i believe they have a cup race in the spring and they're not going to want an IndyCar race a few weeks before their cup race. They are owned by NASCAR. That's going to be the priority. That's where their promotional efforts are focused. You might be able to talk them into doing something a few weeks after a cup race, probably not a few weeks before. So you need to likely go, I'm going to guess four or five weeks. You got the date? Yeah. This year it was March 13th at Phoenix. So yeah. that's kind of right in the middle. I yep. mean, you, you wouldn't go back to back weekends at a racetrack with IndyCar and NASCAR, at least in most situations. Uh, so, you know, you usually like to have a, a promoter would want to have probably three weeks would be ideal. Yeah. And doubleheader doesn't work well under the current TV contract because that's a Fox NASCAR weekend. So that, kind of defeats the purpose. You don't get the promotion if NASCAR is on Fox and IndyCar is on NBC. And Kurt says, with all about the talk about drivers, why isn't Ferrucci being mentioned? I think he's a good driver, and I think he'd be a good uh, team and sponsor dream speaker. No, I agree. I think Ferrucci would be in the mix. And if I didn't mention him last night, we're talking about those. I'd be surprised if he gets the call for the 10, if the 10 is open. If Andretti has an opening, uh, maybe. But does, if he had the full funding, he'd already be driving. So he's not a fully funded driver. I don't know if Andretti would require that if indeed the 29 is open for next year. All right, what we missed and more coming up in a moment. Trackside, 93.5107.5 The Fan. Hi, this is Mark Zerickson, and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 I think I heard fan. that was coming. 
All right, time to check Twitter to make sure no teams have signed multiple drivers uh, in the last little while. Indy 44 is always a good one to find out what's going on. Ooh, Kurt just alerted me to this. What's the news here, Kurt? Randy Etiker, the uh, CEO of Hy-Vee, is stepping down. He will remain as board chair, uh, but that's just something to keep an eye on. Uh, given how successful the weekend was and how much enthusiasm he had for the IndyCar event. The other one that's interesting, I'll just throw it out there real quick, is that Camping World is is uh, pulling out of the truck series, which is oh. significant for them as well. And they've pulled out once before and gotten back in. Um, so I think... I think someone told me that. So I did, I did a couple of events with Hy-Vee, and I think I remember someone saying... And you need to meet so-and-so because they're going to be taken over soon. So, you know, that's always a concern. And that's how things go awry a lot of times is the person making the decision uh, no longer is making the decision. And the next person isn't as enthused. But what I believe I had heard is that everybody at Hy-Vee is on board. And I met, I think, four different high-level executives that had glowing things to say and all seemed consumed about this. So it does make you take kind of note, but the fact that someone told me that last week means that this has been planned for quite some time. Uh, and this is a, a pleasant transition. So it's just something to make note of and we'll keep an eye on that. All right. Uh, another news of the day we need to mention, unfortunately, this is the final night for our esteemed producer, at least for now, Sam Rumsa, uh, manning the controls. Josh Molinix is in the studio. He is capably going to be taking over. Sam is uh, in the studio now. Why are you leaving us? Where are you going? So my fiance got a job in Columbus, Ohio, so we'll be moving there next week. Okay. And uh, I'll still be coming back for uh, IndyCar weekends to produce IndyCar radio, but uh, we'll be moving to Columbus, Ohio next week. Indy's still in the long-term plan, so you never know what the future holds. And when Josh moves on to big and better things coming up in the next year or so, that that seat may be open. Unfortunately, as much as I'd like to have the same guy forever, uh, this probably isn't the career destination path. It's kind <laughs> of a part we all we all do a little side hustle and do these kind of things. So we're happy to have Josh on board. And the great thing is, this this is how good Sam is. He's leaving, and he's still going to help with the opens for Josh to help him get off uh, off the ground here for the next uh, few days or so. Sam, you've been wonderful. We will continue to uh, enjoy your efforts and what you do with Mark Janes and the gang on IndyCar Radio and, and come and join us again. So next year, you can just come to the Burger Bash as a guest. Absolutely. You, you won't have to work Hope at all. to be there, yeah. Right. And I appreciate it. It's, it's been a joy working this show as well as Beyond the Bricks for the past year and getting to know you guys and working a show that I used to listen to. So uh, just as a fan and to be able to work it was, was a real joy. Fantastic. Uh, Josh will be on board tomorrow night solo. And the the number one thing is get the podcast up, right? Uh, and we've had some that it, it was challenging, but we've had no issues for a while. So the podcast will be up with Sam and Josh in a little bit, and we'll see you tomorrow night. We'll be on the air at 7. I'll be recording some of the show from Prime 47, downtown Indianapolis. So I hope you can join us. Ticket to the door or online until noon tomorrow for our Brickyard, Brickyard Prelude Party. Kurt, we'll see you tomorrow at IMS. It'll be a fun weekend. I can't wait to get started. All right. Uh, Beyond the Bricks, Jake Query and Mike Thompson is coming up next. 93.5, 107.5 The Fan.